with my birthday being Christmas Eve, I had the idea to give my birthday and Christmas gifts back to the hospital I was in when I turned five. And it just felt so good I wanted to do more. So then the following year, I asked friends and family for toy, do toy donations, gave three times the amount from the year before. And by this time I was six years old and wanted to keep giving. And my parents really embraced this giving spirit in me from a young age and said, we do air conditioning and heating, but we'll help you start a nonprofit. Welcome to The Infactor, conversations with entrepreneurs who started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and this month during the holidays, we are featuring organizations that make the world a better place by giving back to their communities and service to the people in them. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Ray Moeller, the founder, and Will White, the chief giving officer, CGO, for Little St. Nick, back to the show. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me today on The Infactor. It's great to be back. Thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome to be here. Well, it is a real thrill for me because uh, not only are you former students of the University of Tampa, but you've also spent some time uh, in the Entrepreneurship Center at the university, uh, maybe a couple of years, and uh, we love continuing to support what you do. And I think I had you on the show a couple of years ago. So we're yeah. revisiting um, this uh, this uh, um, enterprise. It's not for profit. It's been around for uh, a few years, Ray, right? You were six years old, I think. <laughs> yeah. January and, is our 20-year celebration, which is pretty crazy. To 20 think years, 20 <laughs> years. So that that's really amazing. So let's start. Uh, for those people who didn't hear about Little St. Nick a couple of years ago, let's start by talking a little bit about Little St. Nick, what you do, and how you, um, you know, how you came about starting this this wonderful organization. Yeah. So today, the Little St. Nick Foundation inspires kids in local communities across the United States and Canada now to pack gift bags and make get well cards for kids entering healthcare facilities and really in need of a smile. So it's kids helping kids. It's every day of the year. And our impact has grown tremendously this year. And a lot of it has to do with an entrepreneurial mindset, which I know we'll get into from our time yeah. up here in the Loth Center. But I started a little St. Nick Foundation. When I was just six years old. Uh, back when I was four, I had woken up one morning, had pain in both my hips and I couldn't walk. And my parents immediately took me to the emergency department on Long Island, where I'm from. And it was very traumatic, no idea what was wrong with me and nothing to do while I was in the hospital. And when I was able to leave, my parents told me that kids had to still stay there for days or months or years. And I couldn't believe that and just had this deep feeling of gratitude to want to do something. And with my birthday being Christmas Eve, I had the idea to give my birthday and Christmas gifts back to the hospital I was in when I turned five. And it just felt so good I wanted to do more. So then the following year, I asked friends and family for toy, do toy donations, gave three times the amount from the year before. And by this time, I was six years old and wanted to keep giving. And my parents really embraced this giving spirit in me from a young age and said, we do air conditioning and heating, but we'll help you start a nonprofit. And that's how it all began. So I grew up thinking of ways to help kids in, in crisis just in our local community, from dropping off toys to visiting kids' bedside with professional athletes to our gift bag program to granting wishes. We kind of did what we could over the years. And when I came down to the University of Tampa for college in 2016, I had no idea what I wanted to do or what the organization would turn out to be. It was just me and my 
parents back home on Long Island. And right when I came down to UT, I was on a Nickelodeon documentary, which highlighted all the work I did in 30 minutes and it aired all over the world, which led to kids from all over the world reaching out to us saying they wanted to do what I did. And we had this really cool situation in St. Louis, Missouri, where a 12 year old boy saw the show in the hospital and was so inspired. He got a hundred kids together to pack a thousand of our gift bags and did a toy drive with his local schools and was able to organize with different hospitals in his area for us to go there and have our toy party and give out the gift bags. And it was really an eye opening experience to see the power of other kids giving, not just me giving. And that's where we came up with kids inspiring, helping kids. We said, let's build out our board, build, build up a business plan and let's, let's take this uh, international. So that's the, the journey we've been on since beginning of 2017. And it's just uh, amazing. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love, so um, there's many things I love, but one of the things I love so much about this and what you do is that you're not only giving back to those children that are in the hospital now, but you're training a new, a new generation every year of givers. And, um, you know, we all know how good it feels to give. Um, but you know, the world's a tough place sometimes, and it's hard to remember that. Um, and ingraining that at a young age is really powerful. I'm curious, I've never asked you what happened with the young man who helped inspire, uh, the scaling, let's call it of little St. Nick. Yeah, so he he's grown up to do a bunch of different philanthropic initiatives in his own local community and, and went to college and did a lot of things giving back. And, and that's sort of our, our focus today, right, with the kids and communities giving back. Hey, here, here's how easy it is to volunteer with Little St. Nick and here's how good it feels. And maybe your passion isn't helping kids in hospitals. Maybe it's pets or veterans, whatever it is. And you can take this simple model and this feel good feeling and take it to what you're passionate about. And that's really what he did. And we're starting to see that more and more with the different kids that come into our organization and be in this positive environment and see how the opportunities to create something out of nothing. And it's pretty cool. And every day it's sort of kids helping kids takes on a deeper meaning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Will, how uh, I know a little about your background too, but maybe for our listeners, um, how did you get involved and and why? Of course, it's a wonderful initiative. Yeah, so and that was exactly what happened. It was as soon as I heard it, um, uh, being a student here at UT, Ray and I had a similar professor, uh, John Castellone, and as we were in class with him at different times, he got connected with both of us and started meeting with us regularly. And I was getting very involved in student government. And as I was becoming student government president, he was like, I need you to meet somebody who has an awesome mission, an awesome organization. He wants to bring it to Tampa, but he doesn't know what he wants to do. And I, the minute I met Ray, I was like, oh, we can get students on campus packing gift bags, helping out the kids right here in Tampa Bay. And that's exactly what we did. We had uh, 300 kids in the Vaughn Courtyard for our first event, packing over a thousand gift bags. And it was just such a cool moment because we were supporting a UT student who was supporting the kids in our community. And it just made so much sense to me. And then from there, I you know kept working with Ray with the student government um, until our good friend COVID hit. And <laughs> I had to move back to New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> Spent some time, about a year and a half up there and not in Tampa. And then uh, 
about a year in, Ray reached out to me and he's like, hey, Will, I hope you're doing well. Do you know have anyone looking for a job in Tampa Bay? So I was like, yeah, send me over the information. Like, um, I see you guys are looking to get started. And he's like, yeah. And then like a little bit later, he's like, what are you up to? I'm like, Ray, I'm the one that wants to move back to Tampa and work for you guys. Like, I'm in. Uh, so I went up to Long Island. We delivered over a thousand toys to two different uh, facilities in um, near his hometown in East Rockaway. And uh, beginning of October of 2021, I moved down and he took a chance on me. And we've been doing this for over two years now. So I uh, couldn't be more thankful and grateful to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because you, you guys do, I see you and you seem like you're, you know, you're working hard and, and you really have a passion for what you're doing, but you're also having fun and that you've built a, a great working relationship. What's the secret to that? I mean, there's a lot, a lot more we're going to talk about, but I'm just really curious. What's the secret to the two of you able to, to, you know, build such a strong, trusting, uh, working relationship. Yeah. Well, you know, we're celebrating our 20 year anniversary this January and everyone who's come into our lives over the years, whether it was someone volunteering, a board member and an employee, you know, there's just some sort of special bond that develops with our organization. We call it the power of St. Nick. Every, everything just sort of works out when you're, when you're doing good and you're in this giving mindset and, and everyone really falls in love with not just our mission, but the wonderful people we we really attract to be a part of it, you know, from being up here in the center and getting to meet people like yourself and the wonderful uh, winter wonderland we put on last year of everyone just really coming together. There's some sort of uh, gravitational pull towards doing good in our organization and it's uh, we we do have fun. We we actually we phrase ourselves as the fun nonprofit guys, <laughs> um, but yeah, everything's really flowed. And and Kira, who's now our director of marketing, she was a UT student who interned with us and fell in love with our mission. And um, yeah, the it really is the the passion that's just overwhelming from everyone in our organization, board on down. You know, I, listening to you talk, and you call it the power of, of St. Nick, you know, it's, <laughs> it reminds me, I had a conversation just earlier this week a bit with a, a mom who was struggling with, you know, what she was going to say to her children. They're kind of getting to the age where they're, <laughs> they're wondering about the whole spirit of St. Nick. But right. what I see in you all is, is that it's alive and well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. whatever it is, it's really hard sometimes to put into words, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a giving mindset. And that's why we have it all year round, you know, every single day, whether it's teaching kids how to give or having kids in crisis know that someone else cares about them. It's it's really an all year round mindset centered around uh, the giving season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, spreading that giving season beyond um, just a few weeks at the end yeah. of every year, right? And that, that's so powerful. Christmas every year, every yeah. day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> every day, <laughs> all year. Yeah. Every day, all year long. Yep. Yeah. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yeah. Well, I'm really curious. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about an entrepreneur, you know, running a not-for-profit because I think a lot of our listeners might be interested in that. There's certainly a lot we can talk about. Uh, from the perspective of what you do and the impact that you have. And I, I love those stories. So feel free to bring those in as we talk. But I'm really curious about, about your experience as young 
uh, leaders in the in the community and in the you know now internationally in the U.S. and in Canada, in terms of you know you have a goal, you have a vision, um, you're raising money, uh, you're building a team, uh, you've got all the same kinds of work responsibilities that are required for anybody running an entity, whether it's profit or not for profit. So I think it's important to talk about, you know, the whole role of an entrepreneurial mindset in nonprofit leadership. And I'm just curious, Ray, you are the founder and the CEO of this organization. You're very young. Uh, but you've obviously done a great job. You've obviously learned a lot. I'm sure you're continuing to learn. That's probably what what <laughs> leads to your success as well. We all continue to learn. But uh, do you believe that an entrepreneurial mindset has been a part of your leadership style? And if so, how how has it influenced your decision making? And and just to kind of frame it up a little bit, you know, I define entrepreneurial mindset. You probably already know, is recognizing opportunities, taking action, and and remaining resilient in the face of failure and challenge. So I'm just curious about how that influences your decision-making and your leadership. Yeah, well, as a team, we always say every day we're experiential learning, so that doesn't describe entrepreneurship. I don't, I don't know. Absolutely. When we had our, our board expand in 2017, you know, we John Castleone, who we mentioned before, he helped us build our first business plan and all kind of sat around and said, all right, how, how are we going to do this, right? How are we going to easily get kids of all ages involved? Uh, what What's the programs look like? What's the relationships with the hospitals look like? So how do we fundraise? How do we take this from New York to everywhere? And that mixed in with changing my major to entrepreneurship and getting involved with the center, as time went on, more and more of it, you find out that running a nonprofit is just like running any other business. Uh, you have to have that mindset of evaluating everything that's going on, seeing what works, what doesn't work, and continuing to to evolve it. And a lot of times what happens is nonprofits, especially smaller ones, if they don't have that mindset and they don't keep growing and evolving, eventually they start to fade out. So just like any other business, if you're not growing, you're, you're dying in a sense. So that's that's been our, our mindset since uh, 2017, really. And it's just kind of evolved every single day, especially with the kids in the community. We've developed a mentorship program, specifically with kids in high schools, where it's teaching them how easy it is to give, how easy it is to get uh, kids in their schools involved, in their community involved, and then actually teaching younger kids the way forward. And it's really building out their own little little St. Nick business plan, if you will, in a box for what works in their area, what doesn't work, and getting involved through us. So that mindset is is key to really everything we do from thinking of new new ways to enhance our programs to uh, how to how to run a, a board meeting effectively it's it's embedded in all of us and it's something that you know when we bring on new team members too that's that's the first thing we want everyone to come in here and say hey here's here's what we do but bring your own ideas to the table what what can you add of a value what do you think of what, how we're doing this what can we do differently and that's how we continue to get better and expand 
Yeah, and you're inspiring that mindset among everybody that you work with, I think, when you open it up to, to their input. And, and I love the way that you opened your comments by talking about being an experiential learning organization because um, entrepreneurship is really a hypothesis that you're constantly testing and reframing and checking. I'm really curious about um, innovation and how you think about innovation because you were talking about organizations that don't innovate and and don't change and um, how they disappear. And social challenges, social problems uh, are always evolving. Um, you know, have you seen some um, significant changes to what you, how you operate, um, especially maybe even over the past few years? We mentioned the pandemic and the impact that had. Um, you know, I heard something, uh, was it just last night, just recently, uh, maybe even this morning about the number of children who are struggling to sleep at night and they're taking melatonin um, and other, you know, products that we tend to think about for adults who are dealing with a lot of stress. So, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues and a lot of children are struggling, I think, with the aftermath of that. Have you seen any of that? And has it changed the way that you operate at all? Big time. Um, more and more post-COVID of, of kids really struggling. Social media doesn't help. Technology doesn't help. And something that we've just been kind of coming across, the people we talk to and different things going on is how can we make technology a positive thing for kids? Uh, we're talking to some different platforms that are trying to integrate technology with positive mental health behavior, even something as simple as a video game that can be a positive mindset. If kids are going to play a video game, at least have it be something that they can learn from or be positive. And how can we take what we do and teaching kids, you know, whether it's via video or something digital and take it to physical giving? Um, because it is, it's a huge problem. It's something that especially the hospitals we work with, which now we're in over 20 different healthcare facilities. They're being inundated with more and more behavioral health patients. And there's really no infrastructure in, in general hospitals or general pediatric hospitals or urgent cares of what to do uh, in those situations. You know, there's very few behavioral health and mental health resources out there for kids. And it's becoming an issue the younger, even for younger kids now, not just teenagers, et cetera. So, that's really emphasized an importance for us to get kids as young as possible in this positive mindset, uh, because the resources just don't seem to really be there for kids, not just in Tampa or New York, but everywhere. So that's something we sort of keep evolving. And, and Will's new role as chief giving officer is how can we get more kids involved on a regular basis? even without one of our team members physically being there. Hey, great. We can at least make some get well cards and provide some sort of videos that, okay, here's, here's why I'm giving and this, this feels good. And I'm in this positive environment now rather than doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's just a really interesting uh, time for your organization because I think there is so much opportunity even, I know you've got your hands full with the way that you operate and run your organization, but we have to find some solutions, I think, for these children. And it's really interesting because, you know, we started out this conversation 
talking about the power of giving and how good it makes you feel. And I love that you're connecting those dots. And I'm very curious, Will, you know, Ray mentioned your your role as a new one as chief giving officer CGO. And I, I love that. What tell me a little bit more about what you do and what some of your thoughts are on, you know, how innovation can be a part of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And innovation is something that, you know, we even thought about it for a title actually, but we, you know, we giving just felt so natural with what we do, but yeah, a lot of it is, you know, working with the hospitals and the healthcare facilities to see how can we best, you know, suit their patients and best make sure that the kids that are entering their facilities are having a lot of that fear and anxiety that they face when they first enter taken away. And that's where our gift bag program has been so successful and why hospitals and healthcare facilities want to continue working with us is because, you know, it's something that takes these kids' minds off of why they're there. It's a stuffed animal to hold on to, a coloring book to play with, a pop a toy to keep them distracted, and a get well card that another kid's making to show them that there's kids out there that want to see them get better. And it's awesome that we have a table set up in the center, the entrepreneurship center. And constantly, I'm always seeing kids making get well cards and the table piles up. And it's really awesome to see that there's people that want to continue giving even as they get into college. And the cool thing with my role is being able to work with the healthcare, the the schools and the youth groups and working with the kids that were inspiring to do the giving. Um, You know, you really get to see that creative imagination that these young kids have come to fruition with the different things that they want to do and the messages they want to say and the ideas they come up with to want to support these kids. Um, We have a seven-year-old that's local here in the Tampa Bay area who's selling lemonade on the weekends and playing bingo with his friends so he can raise funds to pack these gift bags. And it's just getting to work with an awesome kid like that who at seven (laughs) years old is this little entrepreneur as well, (laughs) doing everything he can to give back to the community uh, that he's a part of. And it's really cool because I'm getting to do a lot more of that and work more and more with the, the, the physical giving and you just get to see the impact so much more at a personal level that it really makes what we do. You really see that impact so big that it's just an awesome feeling. Yeah. I, I love that story. And uh, so he's with the bingo, he's actually making money with the bingo. <laughs> yeah. He's charging kids the parachute and families are helping out. And yeah, they, they packed like 300 gift bags earlier this year and they want to do it again for the end of the year. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that. That is so cool. And it's so cool probably to see, as you pointed out, their own creativity and how they come up with things that maybe you wouldn't have thought about. Um, and so I love that. You that's, know what? It, go ahead, Ray. I was going to say, that's really something that we've been focusing on now because we have a lot of different groups reaching out to us, whether they're businesses like Raymond James Financial or a local school. What what do you, what do you do as an organization? How how do you have your people give in the past? Uh, is there a certain theme week that we can just sort of blend in with that is a natural fit with the school or organization, and that sparks more innovation for us, right? You know, we met these uh, collegiate entrepreneurs at the CEO conference from San Antonio, and they came. We got on a Zoom call with them after saying, "Hey, here's our gift bag program," and they have like three different pathways of how they want to do this in their community and at their university and with the healthcare facilities. And they came to us with it as entrepreneurs. And we said, great, you know, it's all centered around this simple 
gift bags. So that's really what Will is taking on now is seeing what, what's working here, what's not working, what are these different ideas that we can just plug and play anywhere. Yeah. It, you know you're on the right path when when they're coming to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know you're on the right path. Well, I, you, you led me into the next topic I really wanted to talk about, and that's partnerships, because I know for most not-for-profits, that's a really important part of what you do. And um, I was curious, as you were talking about uh, some of the young people you were working with, about your partnership with uh, with schools, because I could see that, you know, I could al- almost imagine a little St. Nick club um, at a school, you know, that could, their purpose could be around philanthropy and giving and supporting. Yeah. And um, so I'm curious about partnerships. And, um, you know, it, you've already mentioned that you've had some, but um, how important are they? It sounds like they're important. Uh, what What do you do to, um, you know, how do you, how do you manage those partnerships and, and even the growth? Because I'm sure you have to manage that growth. You can't just, you know, sometimes growing too rapidly can be as big a problem (laughs) as, as not having those opportunities. So how do you manage all of that? And, and what do you look for in partners and what, what are some of the partnerships, um, you know, that you're involved in now? Well, the biggest the biggest thing is what I mentioned just a little while ago about really fitting into what an organization is already doing or something they're comfortable with. So, for instance, some schools maybe have a anti-bullying week every week of the year. Or they have a service week or something like that that we can seamlessly fit into it. It's, hey, during this time of year, we're going to do this with Little St. Nick, and it's a repetitive thing, sort of plug and play. That's the biggest thing, whether it's a school or, you know, Raymond James Financial, they have a few, uh, every other quarter, I believe they do fundraising for us. We pack gift bags with their employees across three different states. And it's, here's what we do. Here's what everyone expects. And we know the outcome is everyone's feeling good while giving. We know where these bags are going to, and it's a manageable expectation. In, in New York, since we started there and have a lot of momentum, we have, you know, two events lined up every single month for the next year that'll be on repeat and that just leads to more people seeing the events new people being a part of it and wanting to bring it to their school or business etc so that's the biggest thing is having the partnerships we work with feel comfortable with how they want to give and get involved and it's such a simple program our gift bags and making get well cards that it's a seamless fit. And also it's interesting too, is it's, it's really a hybrid thing because we can pack these bags anywhere and anyone we get, get well cards sent in from all over the world. Um, you know, Raymond James told us that we're the only hybrid give back model for their employees across their company, uh, which is huge today, especially since COVID where people are maybe only in the office two days a week, they kind of feel that disconnect from the office morale and being a part of the company when they're, working from home and your kids are running around, et cetera. So it really helps these businesses with employee giving, but also that morale of being a part of an organization. Yeah, that I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, the 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 reality is that one of the struggles that not-for-profits have is money and raising money. And of course, we can talk about that um, you know, and, and your what you do in that in that regard, but because you've got these partnerships, and because you've taken this approach of 
of letting them sort of uh, lead with the their what they are interested in doing and what they already are capable of doing. I assume in this hybrid approach, um, it can help keep your costs down, right? Because these partners can really uh, help get the work done, basically. Yeah, they're they're raising the funds, they're collecting the items, and we're we're supplying the connections to the different healthcare facilities or even foster care facilities to give back to providing the physical bags and sort of the how-to kit, right? How to do it yourself, how to, how easy it is to fundraise, whether it's money or items and pack these bags as a, a team or a class or a school, et cetera. And we're, we're just sort of navigating it for you from either near or far. And that's really something that we've had a lot of success with recently. We have, I think, 15 events just in the month of December that follow that model. And it's, it's, it's been successful. So we're going with it. We'll keep tweaking it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's really the, the way to have uh, not just funds coming in, but also people feel like they know where their money's going, right? Because they're right. donating and then they're actually being a part of tangibly giving, which is a unique model. You know, a lot of nonprofits you know, say if you're giving to uh, Red Cross or something, and you're donating money. Well, you're not tangibly going and you know extracting blood from someone. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. It's it's a, a unique avenue we have because of how simple our programs are. Right. You provide a, you provide an avenue for others to give and and uh, to feel the the rewards of that that activity. Right. So, so um, let's talk a little bit about money because I- anybody that's interested in running a not-for-profit or has uh, has run one knows that that's a, a that's an important issue. Um, obviously, getting all the right people around you is a big part of that. But talk to us a little bit about your financial model. Uh, wh- what does that look like? How has that evolved over the years? And and how do you raise money? How do you think about about money? Well, the biggest thing that we've learned is two two big things stand out. One, multiple revenue streams. And it doesn't necessarily mean multiple business models, multiple revenue streams of whether it's in-person fundraising, whether it's events, whether it's monthly donations, whether it's these private campaigns that these businesses are setting up. um, In-kind donations. In-kind donations, et cetera having those different revenue streams and having them equally make up uh, the piece of the whole pie as, as possible. Number two is fundraising events aren't the most scalable. <laughs> you know, we've had two really big events in New York every year because we've been doing them for 17 plus years, but the amount of time that they take versus the amount of revenue you're able to get in plus events are very expensive to put on. Uh, we found that it may not be the best use of time in terms of scaling those things to different areas, which is why we don't have a golf outing in Tampa, for instance. So finding um, multiple revenue streams that sort of like we were talking about with our partners, right? How, hey, there's these 20 events set for the year. Here's how much they're going to raise. Here's the involvement's going to be. And we can sort of rely on that year over year and use that as a base to grow from there. So those are the real big highlight points for us that we're sort of building off of. Um, and the monthly donation model is definitely another great one. You know, we have 
200 plus monthly donors. And it's really just about keeping them aware of where their money's going, the impact that they're creating and uh, really designating it to the local area to where the monthly donor is. And we've had great success with retaining monthly donors because of that. So there's, uh, you know, I would say if you can get five or so different revenue streams and just form a platform off of it and build off of it, that's probably the best way because, you know, in the nonprofit sector, especially when you're not quote unquote selling things, the donations can vary every year, you know, depending on what's going on in the world. Uh, grants, if you get a grant one year, well, maybe they skip a year because they want to change it up. You know, you gotta, it's really important to diversify because of the, the industry of itself and the nature of people giving. Yeah, that that's great advice. And uh, you you mentioned grants uh, because a lot of not for profits do depend on grants. And I know I've done a lot of grant writing myself over the years. And grants can be uh, a big struggle too because they can take a lot of time. So uh, I'm sure you have to look at. Um, you mentioned this, but you have to look at the resources that you get for the time that you're investing. Like you mentioned, events take a lot of time. And I think probably a lot of not-for-profits can get stuck in thinking uh, in a too limited way about resources. Do you think that's true? Grants and and fundraising events are the traditional way, right? Mm -hmm. That's, um, That's what we thought forever. It's growing up. We had one fundraiser a year, one toy drive a year. We did what we could. Uh, granted, I was going to school and my parents running their own business, but there wasn't that mindset of how can we grow off of these events? What other things can we be doing? I mean, we didn't think about having monthly donors until 2018, until a board member said, hey, we should create something where people can give on a monthly or a quarterly or an annual level. And, you know, here's X amount of dollars will help X amount of kids, that sort of mindset. So we've really evolved with it. Um, grants, it's really just about weighing how much funding is out there for a particular grant. What's the competitive landscape of how many people are applying for it? How well does it match up with our organization? How much time is it going to take to apply for it? You know, there's a lot of things before we even touch a grant to fill out that we really evaluate. Um, the most success we've had with grants has been relationships though. And that's really going to be a big focus for us is building the higher and higher level of relationships. And I'm sure that's something like a uh, Tim Marks would talk about of, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people who can open those doors. Um, Cause people want to give when they really get to know you, you know, it's not just about submitting an application blindly, you know, people want to know, who you are and and what they're supporting. So that's going to be a big focus of ours in 2024. Yeah. It is about building relationships and building community and, uh, and uh, you know, people uh, want to feel a part of something. And, uh, and obviously that's part, that's partly what you do is, is encouraging uh, this, this giving mindset, not just among children, but among everyone and making sure that everybody feels uh, good about that. And, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really interested. You brought up, uh, we, and we talked about this last time a little bit, but I know that for most not-for-profits, having an advisor, a board of advisors or a board of directors, depending on your structure, is important, or, or both. Um, c- could you tell us a little bit about how you, um, how you built your board and, and um, you know, do you have multiple boards? I know some organizations have 
have a board of directors as well as an advisory board. But what, how, how does Little St. Nick operate from a board perspective? Yeah, so the board obviously is the technical owner of the nonprofit, the board of directors, and started out really as friends and family as, as most boards start. And as time evolves and new people come into your lives and it kind of goes from people who become your friends and, and family, but they're getting involved because maybe they're, uh, in our case, someone got a gift bag. We have a few board members who joined because their kids were a direct recipient of our programs or they were able to volunteer, whatever the case may be. And they start to open up different doors. And now we're, we're sort of entering that third phase of newer people with a uh, bigger picture, higher level connections that uh, becomes a little bit of a different standard to, to be on the board. You know, when we were get, just getting started, the board was, hey, let's get as many experienced business people here to figure out a business plan and how to scale this. Well, now once you scale and you have a model that's working, how can we open those bigger doors? So that's kind of where we're at. I would advise um, any nonprofit that is starting. To, I was actually talking to someone who's starting a nonprofit the other day. I would advise to say, be very selective with who joins the board and have really um, direct goals for whomever is on the board. Uh, we do have an advisory board, more so local to the Northeast of the United States, just from the different connections we've had. Uh, a goal of ours is to sort of have little advisory committees regionally uh, in the US and in Canada for people to feel more a part of our organization. And also really, you know, every area is different. How we operate here in Tampa, yeah, it's the same premise under the gift bag and the get well cards, but the opportunities and the people and the community is totally different than New York and in Canada, et cetera. So that's that's our thought process right now, having our board of 10 to 13 directors and smaller advisory committees locally that can help out on a community level. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, you know, so much of my own experience, I think, has been reflected there. You know, you start with whomever you can get around the table and then you build up to the marquee names that can really bring the resources, not just money, but other people uh, yeah. to the table. Um, you know, the, the, the interesting, I love, uh, your idea. I know some banks, uh, I was on a bank board and then, uh, when we were purchased by a, a public bank, um, I was on the local advisory committee. So I know, I know, uh, organizations profit and not-for-profit do that sort of thing. Um, one of the big challenges, though, with that is the time involved in managing a board. Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I think for our listeners who are thinking about uh, not-for-profit, um, it does take a lot of time, right? And the bigger your board, um, the more time that can take. And, of course, multiple boards can take even more time because, you know, there's relationship building there as well. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the point of being very direct, right? Our advisory board in, in New York, for instance, because we do have two bigger events up there, it's a very big focus for the first nine months of the year of what we need. And it's really to enhance and grow those events. And then, hey, here's everything else we're doing. If you want to help fill in the gaps with a different partnership to pack bags or a different healthcare facility, whatever it is, but being as direct as possible, but what's needed on a local level, on a, a bigger picture level, will give people direction so that they're not confused. <laughs> That's the biggest thing we learned. Uh, really, the first two years of having a board of directors, it was really open-ended meetings and open-ended 
asks where now it's more specific things. Everyone has a good understanding of who we are and how we operate, but then also, okay, here's what I know I can do. And here's what I'm going to go set out and do to help the organization. So that's the best way to save everyone's time, not just our teams, but the people who are involved, because we kind of look at everyone who's helping us from the outside as that we're sort of third in the pecking order to their own family and personal lives, to their jobs, and then to their giving. So we have to make it as easy as possible to get involved. That's such good advice, you know, making it very clear what the expectations are and making sure that people understand that. Do you have term limits on your boards? Yeah, we do have uh, two-year alternating term limits on the board. Um, yeah, we uh, the advisory board, we're, we're, like I said, we're just kind of getting it rolling in New York. It's It's been more so people who help support our events. So we're before we start having advisory committees everywhere, we want to really see how it's going to work, especially because our advisory board in New York, as I mentioned, it's more so off the events model, which we're trying to steer clear of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I think that's really smart. I mean, it's like scaling anything else. You want to try it out, make sure, test it, get your MVP out there, see what works and doesn't work, and then and then and and I'm assuming you do that with a lot of things that you want to roll out on, on a larger scale. You said you're in 20 communities now, or 20 institutions. Yeah, 20 healthcare facilities. Um, it's seven states in the United States, and then four provinces in Canada. And then so across our international impact, uh, 20 different healthcare facilities. Um, we actually just did the uh, the math. We gave out over 11,000 gift bags so far this year as well. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, <clears throat> do you? how many employees do you have, full-time employees, to manage all of this? Yeah, right now, we have a full starting five. So we have Will as our, our chief giving officer, Zach, uh, who's up in New York. He's, he's our new COO. Uh, which is very key for me, taking me out of the operations to focus on these bigger picture things and relationships like we spoke about. Kira, a former UT student, is now our director of marketing, and we actually just brought on a Northeast executive director uh, to man our New York headquarters. So there's there's five of us right now. Uh, we started the year with just me and Will. <laughs> so it was, it was necessary to add on more people. And Definitely. uh We'll see what 2024 has in store, but it's it's definitely been a magical year from our giving to adding on new people to seeing, um, you know, on the entrepreneurial business side of it, how we can keep improving on our operations um, and then how can we, we can keep growing different relationships. So I love it. You answered the question I was going to ask and what 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 has been the big changes in the last two years yeah. since we talked. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big expansion. How many how many institutions were you in or, or healthcare facilities two years ago? Do you remember? Three. When we talked, it was three. <laughs> so you had three. Now we're up to 20 and two employees. Uh, now you're up to five and uh, lots of other programs and partnerships uh, and new ones every day. I know we're, yeah. we've been talking about a few new ones that you, um, that you acquired at the CEO conference. So uh, you said 2024 is going to be a big year. I just have to ask. We talked about the last two. What's in store for the next year? Maybe we'll have you back uh, on the InFactor in, in, in December right. of 24. What would you like to be telling me then? Yeah, I mean... What's pretty cool is we just did a whole overhaul on our website, which hasn't been touched in the last 10 years or so. And it's very 
impact driven for people who are visiting our, our site or on our social media to get involved, whether it's volunteering, sponsoring, partnering, media inquiries, et cetera. And we're seeing up to six inquiries a day uh, coming in since November 1st of people wanting to get involved. So uh, there's been a up, big uptick in that, which has led to new partnerships. Um, once we keep working on this sort of do-it-yourself model and, and tweaking it, um, I think there's there's a real possibility we'll be having every single day of the year a different event going on, whether it's just kids making get well cards or collecting items, et cetera. You know, right now, every day of the year, kids are spreading the mission and planning for events and then having one big one. And I think we can make this where uh, you know every single day we'll be sharing with everyone uh, some really cool impact that's happening across North America. So we'll see. I mean, we started this year out just in New York and Florida and, and, uh, here we are. So we've just been riding the wave. That's amazing. It's, you know, what I'm hearing is the spirit of St. Nick is going to be every day of the year in 2024. And that's, that's really, uh, that's really a wonderful thought and something that we can all hold on to because, there's plenty of problems in the world and plenty of, sadly, plenty of uh, children that are struggling and, and what you're doing is making a big difference. This is, uh, again, such a delight to talk to you both. I always end by asking if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, knowing that a lot of them are interested in probably following your path and making a difference in the world through some kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, what would that advice be? Let you start this one. <laughs> um, if I can give one advice, um, that would be. Hmm. I'm gonna have to say, don't make excuses. Um, I, it's always something. I one of my favorite quotes is, uh, "You're only as strong as your strongest excuse," and and it's just. You know, it, it's very easy to want to, you know, get sidetracked or, you know, we get so many opportunities. It's easy just to kind of fall on anything, but it's really just sticking to what you know and believing in yourself and just keep pushing and working hard because, you know, if you had asked us where if we'd be in this spot two years ago, as much as I want to say, I don't think we'd be like, no way. We knew that if we kept working hard, we'd be able to go international. So it's just keeping keeping that mindset of working hard and not making excuses on why you can't do things. You know, anything's possible, as we clearly have seen. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, and it's, we've talked about it over and over again today, is why we're instilling this mindset in kids as young as possible to give back to uh, be entrepreneurial, seeing how easy it is with something like our programs, and then being able to say, wow, that was easy. I'm passionate about X, Y, or Z. Let me try to make that easy and get into wanting to do that. The biggest thing that I see from our, like I said, our board members on down to our team is that natural, genuine passion. And that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs maybe start a business to get rich and sell it and move on with their lives and sail off on a yacht. And if the passion isn't there, um, things seemingly don't always work out as planned, but when the passion and the right intentions are there, things always seem to work out. So that would be my, my biggest thing is if you're thinking of 
starting a business, if you're a CEO taking over an existing business, the passion has to be there in, in some capacity or else there will be uh, more challenges than not. Make sure you love what you do. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love, love, love both of your answers because uh, I just had a conversation yesterday in my class and I posed the question, what would you, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And, and, you know, you talked about making excuses, Will, and I think sometimes we let fear and um, a lack of confidence in our ability to do something get in the way. But, you know, the, the antidote to that is exactly what you said, Ray, and that is if you're passionate about it, you figure out a way. So, yeah. you know, when, when you start feeling that fear and you start making excuses, if you can step back and say, what, what, what matters to me? Where are my values? And what am I going to feel good about tomorrow or a year from now or two years from now? then you'll find your way. So great advice from both of you. How can our listeners um, get involved and help support and spread the Little St. Nick spirit every day? Yes. Uh, LittleSTNick.org is our website. As I said, it's brand new, less than a month old. So everyone go check it out. We have a lot of, like we talked about, do-it-yourself ways for people to simply get involved in their community even if it's not a chapter that we have established yet. As I mentioned, we get Get Well cards sent in from all over the world. We're constantly looking for new partners, whether it's on the healthcare business or our youth group side and trying to grow our, our impact one kid at a time. So littlestnick.org, we have all the social medias and newly have Little St. Nick Canada social media as well, which we are like starting a new entity all over again. So it's exciting. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, congratulations to you both and to the whole uh, Little St. Nick team and happy holidays. And I look forward to, I'll see you all soon in the center. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you again. And happy holidays. Thank yes, you. Thank you for everything, not just this podcast, but all the wonderful support over the years and the entrepreneurial mindset stems from really this our experiences up in the center which you've led so thank you well that it makes it all worthwhile <laughs> absolutely thank you if you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship we would love it if you hit that subscribe button thank you so much for listening to this episode of infactor